Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out, and I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Tom Kirkham. He's the CEO and founder of Iron Tech Security, and uh, they provide cybersecurity training and uh, other other aspects of, of cybersecurity. So we're going to talk about that today. So, Tom, thank you for coming. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, tell me a bit about your history. Um, what got you interested in cybersecurity in the first place? And then I want to ask you about uh, your company. Well, I've been in technology for about 40 years, first as a hobbyist, then as a uh, a businessman, but I've and I've always been in management and everything like that. But uh, it was also a hobby for me. So I was in it in the day. I was actually on the internet before there was a such thing as a world wide web. A lot of people don't realize they're actually two different things. But there was an internet before uh, web browsers, and uh, so as time went on and everything, and you know the evolution of software and hardware and systems and uh, the internet. Along came hackers, who at first was a hobby to them as well, 
And for the last, I'd say, 15 years or so, it become more and more of a criminal enterprise, a business, a professionals that are conducting these hacks. And then, of course, nation states got into it, and then hacktivists, terrorist groups, and other threat actors. That really increased the, uh, the defensive needs of everyone. You know, now we're basically today we are being unrelentlessly hit with cyber warfare technologies that other nation states and the United States developed, but they got loose, got out in the wild, and now criminals and other groups are using those against us. So the game has changed just in the last five or six years. Who who is being attacked? Is it everybody or is it just larger companies? And what's the difference between, again, a large concern, a small concern? Like, let's say I'm a, I'm a plumber and, Orlando, Florida. Do I have to worry, or is it yes. only if I have a larger business? What's the difference? No, no. Yes, everyone has to worry. If you were to do a port, if you looked at your router in your house and looked at all the automated attempts just to see what's inside, what's behind that router, you know, your thermostat or your laptop or your iPhone, these are automated scripts where they can do millions of attacks a minute to any IP address in the world. And then once vulnerabilities are discovered, then it goes into another specialist hands for further analysis and then to see what they want to do and what it is and and things like that. But, you know, if you just look at just a simple ransomware attack, which is the biggest threat to all of us, and that's where they get in and encrypt all of your data and then hold it for ransom until you pay them a sum of money, whether it's 300, 3,000, 3 million. And all of that is even automated. So they may not know who they're attacking, and they likely don't because it's done automatically, but they have a general idea of the size of the target. So if they see uh, you know, one or two PCs, then it's either a really small business or a home, and they may make the ransom $1,000. And then if you've got decades of family photos locked up, you may pay the $1,000. If it sees 1,000 computers on the network, they may demand a $5 million ransom because that's actually a larger enterprise. But these attacks are done at scale and at volume, so they don't care if you're a plumber in Orlando. or It's interesting. Yeah, people don't realize this. The the, the ones you see on CNN, Washington Post, those are are big headlines. You know, Colonial Pipeline, JBS, those are – those are targeted attacks like we see iron tech sees every day there we get targeted and so there are actual hackers trying to to either get in through social engineering which is the most common way but when we look at our log analysis uh on our firewalls and our router uh, we see lots of different things you know remote technology uh, probing you know any kind of remote access that that can be probed and discover services. And if you're not highly skilled at putting the proper defenses in place, and this is where it breaks down with IT professionals. They, Generally speaking, if there's someone on here that is an expert at cybersecurity and they are an expert at IT, more power to you. But it has been my experience as well as others in the InfoSec community that no matter how skilled they are at IT, InfoSec wasn't and is not a specialty of theirs. It would be something similar to the best heart surgeon in the world is the last person you'd want to go to for perhaps 
orthopedic surgery or brain surgery or spinal cord surgery. You know, it, it's truly a different, it's a different specialty with different objectives and all sorts of different things, different skill sets. And uh, so it, the game has changed and it's not do it yourself anymore, pretty much. Well, it's interesting. I, I you know, like when you talked about uh, this automated scanning of how many computers on a network, I don't know if what this would be called, but, you know, like kind of a counterintelligence type setup where, you know, that, you know, let's say company X is going to be attacked a lot. So you put stuff on the network. So it looks like there's only one or two computers, you know, so if, uh, again, ransomware attackers do attack, the ransom's like nothing. And I wonder if that could be done or, you know, different, again, counter, uh, providing well, misinformation. Yeah. Well, you're talking about a honeypot basically. And yeah, the, the larger companies might put in a honeypot and that's where you've got, you've got a plant there on the network that is a diversion, diversion, right? So if they get in there, they see all this info, information and they think they've hit the jackpot, but in reality, it's just a plant to suck in their resources. So they don't see everything else that's on the network. Personally, that's not my favorite style. Honeypots are usually put in by InfoSec specialists to learn more about the adversary, who the group is, what's their purpose, what's their objectives, and what's, what's their uh, technology, and how, how did the vector actually occur? You know, how did that attack vector get in there? So it's used more of a research purpose than anything. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700-plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000-plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. Is there a way to um, infect your attacker? You know, you set up a, a honeypot with teeth, meaning they go in there, they start screwing around, and then your system actually uploads some kind of virus to them and blows them up or causes them trouble, which would be funny. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm sure that's a plot of a movie that's been made, but you've, you've got to understand that this is a serious situation and you've got white hat hackers and black hat hackers and gray hat hackers. And so the blacks are bad guys, the whites are good guys, the grays are in the middle. And everyone's got their specialties. And, and in that scenario you just described would probably have to have at least 10 different specialists to really pull that off right. You know, it's not as simple as flying up to the mothership with a Mac computer and plugging it in and all of a sudden Independence Day is is one. It, it's not quite that easy. You know, our job, we're just a small part of the overall industry, and our job is to make sure the attacks don't happen. And our concentration is in the small to medium size and also, you know, the high net worth individuals, market space. That's where we go because that's that's one of the most undeserved or underserved uh, blocks of, you know, you look at a, especially B2B, and others, and they're also the ones most likely not to know where to go for the proper help to get make sure they're properly protected against hackers. And it's all about a risk analysis. There's nothing 100%. So the NSA, 
the United States National Security Agency themselves were not only hacked, but their cyber offensive weapons were stolen along with the source code. So the Stuxnet virus that the United States and Israel and some other countries perhaps uh, used to destroy the enrichment centrifuges in Iran. In Iran, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those were carefully engineered to only function in that environment because the NSA knew that this was a very, very dangerous weapon. So they engineered it in such a manner that it would only execute in that environment. And so if it got out on, you know, a plumber in Orlando's computer, it wouldn't execute. But that tool was stolen in this big mass of, of, uh, this big massive attack on NSA and the source code was stolen as well. So that very virus is being, is modified and being used to attack systems of all sorts and sizes. There was a, a large casino in Vegas that the, and these are called industrial control systems, by the way, thermostat or internet of things, right? You got a refrigerator or a thermostat Whatever is plugged into your network, that's an internet of things. That's an industrial control system of some flavor. Well, this okay. casino got hacked through a fish tank thermometer. Oh, that's so, like someone's uh, house being hacked through a baby monitor, I guess, connected to the internet, right? Sure, sure, sure. Or, you know, or even their own thermometer. You know, I've, I have a Nest thermometer, but, <laughs> you know, you know, it, but I'm confident in my firewall. <laughs> okay. Right. And I'm using a consumer-grade firewall. I don't get, you know, our people don't come over here and make sure that I'm bulletproof. I'm isolated from the network. They actually, the company is actually protected from me, actually. Uh, so, because we have to perceive everything as a possible threat that comes in our office. And that, and that's a, a good thing to point out is we're not, a, we aren't a uh, response force. You know, we, we're not, we are very reluctant to engage with someone that we aren't already protecting their network and they're under attack because they become a threat vector for not only us, but all of our clients. And we already know we're being targeted because they want to get through us to all of our clients as well. But it's a, it, it, people, most people have no idea how huge the industry is. I mean, it's a trillion, multi-trillion dollar worldwide business. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. But when you, okay. So when you say everything that comes in has to be perceived as a threat, what does that mean? Like what is some general advice you'd have for businesses of any size on how they need to change some of their procedures? Let's say. Okay. Here's one thing. Um, Over 90% of the successful breaches require or have required someone on the inside helping out. Now, when you hear that, people have a tendency to think, well, that's, I don't have any bad guys, bad people in my company, my organization. That's not it. These are non-malicious insiders that are just trying to do their job. So the way a phishing email works that deploys a ransomware is the attacker, who's a specialist in psychological manipulation, social engineering. When I was younger, we just called them a con job or scam. Okay, they word an e- email very carefully. They they use techniques such as a sense of urgency, like you've got to do something now. Yeah, For example, yeah. they send an email to the accounting department or payables or whatever, and it says, "Attached is a list of outstanding invoices. 
if you don't pay these immediately, we're going to cut your service off. If this happens mm. to come from a vendor that's critical to your business working properly, the person paying the bills is going to think, I, I paid all the, the, they're paid up. Let me open the spreadsheet up and see what they say and let's get this thing straightened out. We can't afford to get cut off. As mm. soon as they open that spreadsheet up, the spreadsheet calls a macro and it begins encrypting the files. And nowhere in that storyline, and that's an official InfoSec term, nowhere in that storyline of that attack is an actual virus. Everything in that attack, that part of the attack, is built into Microsoft Windows, Microsoft Office, or the corresponding Mac products, or the corresponding Linux products, or open source, it doesn't matter. And so antivirus doesn't even see it. So if you already understand that 90% of the breaches require a human to help them get in, same thing with the Stuxnet virus, by the way. That facility was air-gapped. In other words, it was not connected to the Internet in any way, shape, form, or fashion. They wow. used social engineering to plant it in there. So another threat vector is just to scatter some USB drives in a parking lot. Somebody's curious, walks into the building, plugs it in, and it's downloading. So, really? so the the takeaway from all of that is if you do nothing but continuous cybersecurity awareness training in your organization, you cut your risk in half of being attacked. What kind of uh, so what kind of training is necessary? Well, you you want to establish yearly training, but it's got to be continuous because you've got to get training on the new threats. That's continually evolving, new psychological techniques, new technologies, new threat actors, new new uh, attack vectors you know sometimes it's email which it has been well that'll probably never stop until they do something with the internet so that's going to be not in my lifetime probably at least around email but you know we're seeing an increase right now in in compromised websites because very few people bother to update their web servers or their websites you know their wordpress sites if you never update your WordPress site, it's full of vulnerabilities that they could easily hack mm. into. And all of that's done. All of that that website stuff is all scanned automatically. They they get a whole list of hundreds or thousands of vulnerable websites, and then they just start, you know, planning uh, payloads on them. I've anyway, seen that, see- like with Word with WordPress, they'll inject like pages selling Viagra or you know Brazilian bikini wax or whatever that kind of stuff, and you start yeah. getting traffic on that. And you're like, what the what the hell's going on? You know. Yeah, but but more the more malicious payloads are what we're worried about. Um, you know, where it's a drive-by. You know, it just starts downloading the payload and and executing, and the user is oblivious to it. Mm. So, um, so besides training, though, you've got to have you've got to wrap your you've got to have layers of security. It's called defense in depth. It's a military term. You assume that one or more layers are going to be penetrated. Like they're still going to get fooled and I, and everyone can be fooled. These, the, the days of emails with bad grammar and poor graphics and misspelled words are pretty much over. These, these, these emails can fool professionals, including me. And the reason I know that is because when we run these simulations, we, that's what we do. We run a simulation every week. We send a simulated email attack out. And if you click on the link, it sends you to, hey, you failed, and here's yeah. an educational video of what you didn't do right. That's and cool. This, 
yeah, and this could have been catastrophic for your company. And there's only one person in the company that scored 100%, and he happens to be our security officer. But that's it. That's the only one. And I talk about this all the time, and I'm up to date on it as, as well as anyone. But, it, you know, and it could be something just as simple as a coincidence. So the one I fell for is I was actually tinkering with my Google security settings, and it just so happened. While I was doing that, a Google security email come in and I go, oh, okay, well, I'll just click this and, you know, because it was something wasn't working or something like that. And that's how I got fooled. It's only happened Hmm. once, but I mean, no, you can't assume that you're that smart because you can't be. No one is that smart. Anybody can be fooled. The NSA, the last I heard, the NSA still didn't understand exactly how the breach was pulled off. They they weren't even sure they they just really had no idea uh, and and in actual reality and some of the research indicates that the breach may have occurred even before they thought it had but uh, and the Chinese might have been in there but regardless uh, you've got to do layered approach to security so you get a, a class of product known as an MDR a managed detection respond that uses artificial intelligence instead of a signature file a virus signature file or a virus update file whatever. And it, it, it can predict imminent attacks and then thwart them, stop them, quarantine, kill them, and all of that. And it's a marvelous technology, and it's really the only way to be sure that you protect yourself against a ransomware attack. And that's what we do. We provide a multi-layered approach to security to uh, businesses of all sizes, and, and it's a risk analysis. You know, uh, so what does a typical one look like? Like, what are the biggest holes you see in, in a lot of businesses in their security? Frankly, the biggest hole I see is just either not knowing what to do or just thinking it will not happen to them. And that's my job. My job is, is to be an evangelist on this and to educate people to take this threat seriously. Once they when they do a risk analysis, it's it's kind of like buying insurance. You don't you know insurance is an expense. It doesn't produce income. The investments you make in IT is for productivity and efficiency gains and maybe marketing yeah. and sales and everything else. But IT always was, always will be, and it always should be a positive effect on the bottom line. That's why it's an investment. It's not an expense. So if you're already treating IT as an expense, you, you're probably not going to raise your hand and want to talk to us because you, you've already got your IT problem wrong. But you have to think of an investment in cybersecurity as part of a strategy, just like it is insurance. Just in case everything goes wrong, we, at least we've got insurance. And the problem with cybersecurity insurance is that it will not make you 100% whole, just like your homeowner's policy won't bring back all of those memories and photos and irreplaceable items that were lost in a fire. Right. So our objective is, you know, just like taking care of your body, you, your objective is to make sure you don't need that. You don't need that life insurance policy to be triggered. Iron tech wants to make sure you don't need to use that, that cybersecurity insurance. And incidentally, we're seeing more and more insurance companies and probably in a couple of years, that's all there will be, but we're seeing insurance companies, now saying if you don't have systems and administrative policies and procedures and these specific technical controls, those that we provide in place, we will not even write the policy. And well, again, what are, what are some of these things? What are some of the basic things that businesses can do or need to be aware of? Continuous cybersecurity awareness training. 
You've got to have that class of product called EDR. You've got to have a security team ready to respond, kind of like a fire department. You know, if you, your homeowner's insurance costs more if, you're, if your city doesn't have enough fire stations. It's very similar. But they get in and specify, you know, you've got to have this, 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 and this. And I'll tell you, if you've got an EDR security awareness training and a security team, you're going to meet most of them. Now, it gets different depending on what industry and what other things you have to protect. You know, it's different for a personal injury attorney than it is for an investment company as far as regulations and compliance. So that, those introduce things. And also, depending on your clients, you may have to think about who's, why would a hacktivist want to attack me? Well, if you're an, an, an attorney representing ExxonMobil, you've got to worry about hacktivists, you know, activists that hack. So, I mean, it, it's, it's really a strategic view of your business and who would want to attack you, what's your vulnerabilities, and then simply addressing them. Legally, is the onus on the system owner or controller to prevent hacks? Like, if you know, if you get hacked and stuff gets stolen, will the law look at you as it's your fault because you didn't prepare, or, or how does it seem? It's not, you're not going to go to jail for it unless, unless they begin to enforce, you know, if you send money, you know, you pay a ransom to someone in North Korea, that's against mm -hmm. the law. I don't, I've never heard of anybody enforcing that, and I would be surprised if that, that ever happens. But it, from a legal standpoint, you've already, you've already messed up everything. That's, you're not going to get prosecuted if you yourself gets hacked. Now, now, that doesn't mean you're not obligated for civil liabilities. You know, your, your customer, if their private information got out and sold on the dark web, yeah, they could sue you. And if you go into a court of law and you don't have EDR, you don't have continuous security awareness training and some other things, and they put me on the stand and they said, and there's a clause in the rules of professional conduct for attorneys that says you've got to make reasonable efforts. And they're going to tighten these things up. We're seeing it across all industries where they're going to say, you've got to put one, you've got to put these things in place, period. Not just reasonable efforts. What, what is ask, EDR, by the way? What, what is EDR? Endpoint, detect, and response. It's a class of product. Mm. Uses artificial. I said MDR earlier, but it, what, really what you need is managed endpoint, detect, and response. But if I get on the stand and this attorney, you know, was reusing passwords and, and he's using the, uh, McAfee internet protection suite that he picked up at Best Buy. Mm -hmm. And I was asked, did he use reasonable efforts as an infosec specialist? I would say, no, absolutely not. Because th they get, they get training on how to improve their cybersecurity for their law firm continuously. And Who gets it, it, training? What do you mean? From you? Well, I do some, but others do as well, but it's continuous legal education okay. training, CLEs. And accountants get continuous education. They have a certain quota they have to meet. It's not like they haven't been exposed to it. But they either believe that they're too small or no, why would anyone want to attack them, not understanding that the vast majority of attacks are automated. They're not, they're, they're not the colonial pipelines and the JBS and on and on and on. So, um, I mean, for someone, you know, when you say, oh, you need a team and you need this training, and, you know, I, I, I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, my God, how much would this cost? You see the dollar sign. So you, is your organization able to, I guess, offer it en masse and at an affordable price point for small businesses? Or like, what, what is the approximate price point? Well, it, we've put in installations as little as, I think, $20 a month per endpoint or per user, roughly. 
Uh, it's complicated. Every situation's different. And we don't have a consumer grade product. You know, we don't have a, we're not a B2C business. Now we do, we do get into high net worth individuals and other individuals that have very specialized security needs. But I'm not aware of just a consumer grade product. In fact, to this day, anything that you could buy at Best Buy is something that is totally inadequate because that class of product, this is one of the reasons, uh, the class of product known as EDR or MDR requires specialists to not only configure it, deploy it, but also to monitor and manage because part of the, the response is you got to have a response team ready, not not after the attack is over and all the damage is on you. You've got to have a response team right then because sometimes seconds and minutes count. What does the response team look like then? Well, I guess... Meaning like the, the minimum application of it or the necessary application of it. How many people, et cetera. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, that's going to depend on number of endpoints being monitored, uh, the client profile. But uh, I, in our case, we're backed up. You know, it's a, it's a multi-vendor. It, it's... It's a it's a multi-vendor, multiple teams worldwide that back us up because we're best of breed defense provider. Our tools, our controls are all best of breed. They're the best you can get. And those typically only come from vendors that specialize in one layer of defense. So to respond, it typically requires multiple vendors if the attack is serious. So, but... The thing is, you got to remember, just the bad guys are doing things at scale. So are so are the good guys. So when it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes to businesses, there's not there's I I've yet to find a small business that's so small that they can't afford it. Hmm. Okay, well that's good to know. Yeah, it just sounds like it'd be expensive. You have a dedicated team, and blah, 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 you know. Yeah, it and sounds these like are, a they, very expensive. Thing. Well, it's not a dedicated team; it's a shared team. You know, because we, you know, we've got the we've got these layers and layers and layers of technical controls. All someone has to do is monitor for anomalies. You know, something that just looks weird or a failure of the technical control. You know, one of those layers. Somebody to look into that and make sure the backup layer picked it up, and then escalate if it gets worse and worse and worse. That rarely happens. You know, if you get the if you get everything right from the get go. You know, you sit back as a business owner and you got 50 computers in your in your company, you know, and um, if they're doing their job right, he'll never hear of anything. Right. Now, and he may not even have an incident of any seriousness. That's the way most of our clients are. We've only had one major attack in, oh, I don't know, three or four years, and that was stopped, but it took a lot of work. But what are, what are typical attacks? Is it a ransomware or is it just to get in there and destroy stuff? Like, what are the, what's the reasoning? And what are the typical or most frequent attacks that businesses experience? Well, the number one threat is ransomware. It's by far all over the world, globally. And so that's the, that's the first thing you've got to protect yourself against. And those uh, and the same tools that you put in to protect against that is also going to serve as an intrusion detection system and an intrusion prevention system. So when it detects a threat, it notifies through a, a command center or security operations center for humans to look uh -huh. into it. Uh, you know, even if it's fixed, it's stopped or not, it's got to be investigated. That's another reason why you need a, you need security specialists looking at it. Uh, but you, you know, everybody's got alarm systems, right? There's human beings that are dispatching the police and that's not cheap. I mean, that's not expensive, right? Or burglar alarms, right? 
You got a home burglar right. alarm. Yeah. You pay twenty dollars a month. You got one home, right? And you got people, and it may be three hundred people in the call center monitoring homes all over the nation. But yours is done for twenty bucks. Right. You can get this stuff at scale. Yeah. I just wanted to know yeah. what, what at what to what level do people need this, and again, uh, why? So. Well, every everybody's vulnerable. You know, your grandmother, your college son, daughter, they're all vulnerable to ransomware. They are indiscriminate. Don't care who you are. What you do, they're just they, they're done it. They're doing it at such scale. They they analyze the efficiency of that scam and they mm. tweak it the next time. So you know they're talking a hundred thousand emails go out. They're looking for a conversion rate of one percent. One percent becomes victims. That's a thousand victims out of a hundred thousand. That's a lot. Yeah. If they collect an average ransom of ten thousand dollars a victim, that's ten million dollar payday mm. for a week or two of work. So in your um, assessments, are you seeing commonalities? Are you, can you identify like certain groups out there that leave the same signature and track their behavior and their, their attacks and all that? There's a lot of bad guys out there, tens of thousands. On an average ransomware, you know, if I walk into, a, you know, a client has a attempted ransomware attack, it's just a normal email. I've seen 10 of them this week. They just happen to fall for it. I go through the logs, it's, it, but it could be from different IP addresses in in Russia or North. Probably wouldn't be North Korea, but if it is, that's probably North Korea trying to raise money for them, and they don't care if the files are unencrypted or not. It, only if it's an unusual type of attack. You know, you go in and you go, why were they doing this? Only then do we escalate it for further research and we escalated to other teams for forensic examine uh, examination and we do all of our own or we don't do all of our own forensics but we forensically look at all attacks or even near attacks anyway because they usually have multiple payloads but the trends are all over the board i mean i i could think of just off the top of my head hundreds of different style type attacks different threat actors for different purposes different objectives different targets you know patent attorneys have to worry about a whole different type of attack than or at least a, a threat actor than personal injury lawyers do you're getting into specialties sure. these are all specialized attacks even right. if they're done at scale okay um what what do you see as the the current trends in terms of attacks what's uh what's the latest and greatest the latest and greatest is we're seeing uh, business email compromises where somebody has your email credentials. That's That right now has escalated to be it's cost the world. Or no, it, it's cost the United States this last year $2.4 billion, just a business email compromise. We had a, a brand new client we took on about a month and a half ago, and part of the risk analysis is – secure your email well we're not requiring that right now you know it's an option we recommend it but you need to get off your gmail or yahoo or whatever it was a very small law firm i think a single attorney maybe have a, a you know an assistant or a clerk or a legal assistant whatever paralegal and he declined that part of a he declined that layer right it wasn't a month later that he had a client that he had sent a bill to for $15,000 with the wiring or the ACH instructions, account number, uh, routing number. That e Because his email was compromised, they the, the criminal changed the account number and the routing number to their bank. And it was 
a legitimate email from that attorney to his client, the client paid the bill. And his first thing was to call us and say, let's get my email off of this public email server and strengthen my my uh, security. But at last I heard, there's still the bank, banks and him and his client are still trying to figure out who's to blame. That's where it gets, that's your the legal question that you asked me earlier. And and so that once again, it's a risk analysis. If, if you're going to treat it, if you're going to treat your livelihood as an, everything's an expense, especially IT, then... You know, the, 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 if it's not worth protecting, why do you even have insurance? You know, you, you, gotta, you don't want to have to use cybersecurity. You don't want to have to use, you know, your office building insurance or, or errors and omissions or professional liability. You don't want to have to use professional liability, but you know you should have it. Enterprise-grade cybersecurity defense is simply the cost of doing business anymore. If someone's going to do, let's say, one step towards improving their security. Well, you know, if someone's re- like, again, if they're going to do something over nothing, what, what is one of the first things that they should do? Get a password manager, quit reusing passwords and turn on multi-factor authentication everywhere you can or two mm-hmm. FA. You may know it as two factor authentication. You would right. be, sh- you can protect your Facebook account with MFA. You can protect your Amazon account with MFA by all means, protect your bank account with multi-factor authentication. And quit reusing passwords. 90% of the population reuses same username, same password on their Facebook, their city account, water utility account, QuickBooks Online account, and then the list goes on. Mm, yeah, if yeah. any one of those, though, the email, if any one of those is compromised, they're all compromised. Because criminals know that 90% of the population reuses credentials. So the first thing they do, if they hack into your, they steal your Yahoo email account credentials, first thing they do is just go hit, try it against Chase or City or Bank mm. of America. And then they go try Facebook. So 90% of the, so quit reusing passwords. And the best solution for that is to use a password manager. It will automatically create a unique password for every single website. And crank that, you know what, ask you the number of characters don't use the default of eight characters. You can break that in seconds with a computer. A brute force oh, attack really? with seconds. Spin it up to about 20 or 30 randomly generated characters. Because if you use a password manager, you find out you don't know or care what the password is because you always have it with you. Hmm. And, it, and the good ones will automatically put fill out the form for you. And the good ones will also store your multi-factor authentication. I, I'm, I promise you, once you... Get out! It's a, they're a little quirky, and it's not the fault of the password manager itself. It has to do how website design and this, that, and the other. But when you get over the quirkiness and you spend a week or two with it, in about a month, you'll wonder how you ever lived without one. Well, what about the password manager itself? Wouldn't that be a nice honeypot for uh, you know a real one for hackers to attack if they get the password for that sucker? They get in there, it's like a field day. Yeah, well, the security behind pass, a good password manager is pretty tough to crack. There, It's not like it's storing a raw text file on your computer. It's using some very, very strong encryption. Even the password manager company doesn't have access to your passwords. If any of those, any of you that use uh, Mac, Macs or Apple products, it has a keychain is similar. And uh, it, it's it's. Impo- you can crack it, but you need to have a few billion dollars and and access to supercomputers. Oh, okay. Well, it's good to know that it's uh, you know that it's so strong. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, very good. That's good advice. What's the best way for people to find out more about uh, your organization and to get in contact? You can go irontechsecurity.com. It's just like it sounds, irontechsecurity.com. Now, my personal website is tomkirkham.com. Uh, that's, uh, that's my personal website. I've, I'm an author and things like that. So you're going to get a lot more. Per- We're trying to get it more oriented towards, you know, everyone, not just B2B, but consumers and things like that. So hopefully we'll be adding resources in there. But on either one of the websites, there's contact forms. Fill it out. It'll get to the right person. Uh, our phone number is on there as well. And, uh, you know, if you got any questions, we're easy to talk to, you know, my number one job is education. I speak to hundreds of people a week, I guess. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if you really got very specific things, you know, like if I, I mentioned, you know, specialized things like, you know, if you're an attorney that has patent, you're in the patent law business, intellectual property. And I mentioned that you got to worry about China and you, you hear something like that, you know, give us a buzz and, and we can fill you in on the details of why that's important that you understand that. Yeah. And, and we'll help you understand what risk you have, you know, it's a bit of dark humor. But it would be ironic if you guys sent your invoices as ransomware to pay the bill. So if they didn't pay, they you know they'd be screwed. But I know you wouldn't do that. But it'd be funny. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, uh, of course not. But uh, you know the the you know how to you, any good lawyer knows how to bribe a jury. But but that's what makes them a good lawyer. And that, and the best infosec specialists, good guys or bad guys, have the ability to think like a criminal. That makes sense. Yeah, if you, good cops know how to think like criminals, good detectives know how to think like criminals. There is some truth to what you're saying, but it's 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 like yeah, it's not yeah. That's uh well besides the fact that it's a felony, but yeah yeah no you know in all seriousness, could I take all my skills and do that? Sure, but I know you wouldn't, but it would just it would be ironic. Yeah yeah, I mean you, you know could an attorney bribe a jury? Absolutely. You know, you got a hundred million dollar lawsuit on, you know, yeah. a jury's deciding it. Yeah. There's some financial incentive even. That's true. But, but we're fortunate. Most people aren't like that. Well, before I let you go, there's one question I forgot to ask you. Um, for people that do get affected by ransomware and they pay the ransom, how often does the attacker then say, okay, here's your stuff back versus say, Hey, I'm not giving you anything back and I'm going to hit you again. You know, that's a great question. And I, I want to stress that more by far more often than not, they unencrypt the files. They even provide an 800 number to assist you with either how to get Bitcoin or if you've got unencryption problems, you know, you, you know they've got a manual way and you can call an 800 number and they will help you unencrypt your files if you're having a technical problem. They under the criminals have to give really good customer service because they know that's critical for their long term survival. If they didn't unencrypt those files based upon that agreement, nobody would pay the ransom anymore and they'd be out of business. So they 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 give great customer service and they make sure everything works like like they promise. I'm not saying it always does. Usually, it's a technical problem that's beyond their control and it's unsolvable. Because you're dealing with real high-end encryption here, right? Uh, and that's rare. Or it's a nation-state doing it for other reasons than money, and that's why they don't care if they get the money back or not. Oh, uh, okay. I see. Yeah, which is rare. I mean, we would be in a cyber war with another nation-state for Russia or China or North Korea or whatever. North Korea even wants the money. 
So they don't want to mess that up too much, you know. And Iran wants the money, you know, the cash. They need U.S. dollars to buy other stuff. They need paper money, and Bitcoin's the easiest way to get it. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you for coming. It's been a really uh, interesting call and eye-opener, and you know, I appreciate you and the services you provide. Yeah. Well, it's been absolutely my pleasure to be here. And like I said, just uh, the worst thing you can do is do nothing and just hope it. Hoping is not a strategy. You know, hoping it doesn't happen right. to you is not a strategy. So I ho- if nothing else, hope we made people think. Very good. All right. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.